How's it going? We are here with the amazing Brian Bella, who I've been a huge fan of for a long time, Brian. Great to you. We hoodwinked him into coming to yes. Manchester and Hello, hanging out yes. with us here. We're <laughs> yeah. here in the, in the middle of the uh, Aristocrats uh, European tour. I'm up nice and early yeah, after yeah, a yeah. show day with another show coming up. So if there's if there's bags under my eyes, everyone's just going to have to forgive me out there on the internet. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. I know we've been talking about this for a long time. I can't believe I'm finally here. It's like three years. Yeah. Four years yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. We're, we're pretty we, efficient. We talked earlier. We did. Did yeah, we had one, but it was a, it was one of those remote Skype. Things. It was like from Skype, wasn't it? It's always it? better yeah. to to, yeah. to to realize that actually, yes, you do exist in real life. Yeah, I do. Not yeah. just on the little rectangle. <laughs> so if you don't know who Brian is, obviously you might be living in a cave. He's played with Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, the Aristocrats. Like who else jumps to mind, Brian? That uh, might... well, I mean, also Mike Keneally, you know, Mike Keneally, John Petrucci. Like all of the guitar gods seem to really love you. But, <laughs> you know, it's the strangest thing because I was really when I was growing up. I mean, of course, I liked Led Zeppelin, and and I was really into Pink Floyd, yeah. and Yes, and some Rush. So there was like playing there, but it was never like I never was like looking at the bass like Stu Ham or Victor Wooten and being like, how can I push this into the next dimension? I was never looking at extended technique. I just kind of wanted to play, play yeah. bass in a good band. Uh, and then somehow I ended up in this coterie of, you know, of like uh, technique pushing guitarists. So maybe it works out that like I'm like the bass player that just wants to play bass you how, know, so they can do all this crazy stuff. How did you even find the bass in the first place? Well, uh, I was a rotten kid. Uh, I, I was taking classical piano lessons and then uh, my parents were like, well, you should be in the orchestra also. And I didn't really want to be in the orchestra, so I thought, I'm just going to play the most obnoxious possible instrument. They're just going to hate carrying this thing around. <laughs> so I picked the, uh, the double bass, the acoustic yeah, bass. Yeah. And, uh, of course, not many people were playing the acoustic bass, and I'm playing it in the orchestra uh, for a couple of years. And then uh, this is the weirdest thing, is that... Uh, so. I wasn't you picked ha- I, I, it to I, punish your parents. I, I did, I did. God, I apologize to them for everything. I was such a horrible kid. But then when I was, uh, I think, 13, the Stray Cats uh, came oh, around, and then yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard the song Rock This Town, and I'm like, finally, something cool I can play on acoustic. So yeah. I went, on acoustic for like 10 minutes. And I was like, that sounded great. And then I looked at my hands, and they looked like shredded cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, that's horrible. I want to play electric. So I, I ended up playing electric because of the Stray Cats. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And obviously, if you've not heard the Stray Cats, that, that it's like, that, it, it's yeah, like it's jive. It's yeah, rockabilly, school, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So I pick up an electric. I'm like, oh, this is much easier to play an electric. I don't, my hands don't hurt anymore. Yeah. And then uh, I told the uh, orchestra guy, I was just like, listen, I really just want to play electric in the jazz band. And, uh, and the orchestra guy was like, well, because he didn't have another acoustic bassist in the, in the orchestra. Uh, and he was like, well, you have to stay in the orchestra if you want to play in the jazz band. And I'm like, but I don't want to be in the orchestra. He's like, well, you don't have a choice. I'm like, well, yes, I do. I don't have to be in the jazz band or the orchestra. And so I quit everything. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. And I, did, I, I walked away from the school music program for, for five years because the guy was, you know. <gasps> But, but carried on playing. I carried on playing at home, yes. I, I yeah. stayed in my bedroom and I learned all the Led Zeppelin stuff. I remember one of the like one of the first things was, you know, I just like, yeah. I just remember like thinking, oh my god, that's the coolest bass line. Yeah. Uh, that and good times, bad times and all the John Paul Jones stuff. 
And how old were you when that transition from upright to electric, when did that happen? 13. 13. And that's when I started playing electric at 13. And I didn't really even play it that much. I just kind of played it for fun. I was playing piano more. Uh, so was, your reading was kind of together before you even really went, uh, to a certain level before you even got to electric Yeah, I, I knew some basic theory and I could read music, although more treble clef than bass clef because it yeah. was all piano. But then yeah. I kept playing piano by ear. Like, I just wanted to play Pink Floyd songs on piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get stoned to play Pink Floyd songs yeah, on yeah, piano. Yeah. Who doesn't want to do that? So I, it was a weird kind of uh, ghetto ear training course that I gave myself. And I would just play, like, Shine On You Crazy Diamond and, like, songs from the wall and some Yes stuff. Were your parents musos or not? Not at all. So did you have music? Like, did you have a piano in the house? We had a piano in the house. You did, yeah. My grandmother played some piano, and my mom did take piano lessons, so they just had a piano. Right, yeah. But my dad was a lawyer, and my mom was a teacher, and there's no professional musicians in either side of the family. So I I was kind of coming at it from a a kind of a green place. Yeah. And when you were like, you know, in your early teens, 13, 14, 15, did you know that you wanted to be a pro musician at that point? I didn't know anything except I knew I didn't want to go to Harvard. It. Like it was, there was an Ivy League track that was kind of like set up for me, and because that's what my whole family did, yeah. and uh, I was just, I, I was just like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and growing up in New Jersey, you know, it was, a, it was a nice town. The public schools really good, and that's what it was all about. It was about getting into good schools and yeah. getting a good professional job, and blah blah blah. And I just knew that I was destined for something else. I just didn't know what it was. And then Metallica came along. And I remember the first time I heard, like, Fight Fire with Fire. I was, I was already in metal, but it was, like, Motley yeah. Crue and, like, all the kind of hair metal stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, at least at least they look outrageous. Yeah. But when I heard Metallica, I just remember thinking to myself, that is some angry music. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, like, I remember when Fight Fire, uh, Fight Fire with Fire came out. And Ride the Lightning was the first album that yeah. I got. And uh, I heard Cliff Burton for the first time. And I learned that bass solo. And, and I remember hearing Damage Incorporated uh, and thinking to myself... How is Cliff Burton playing that fast? And so I'm like 14, 15 years old, and I'm sitting there, because the riff is basically, it's like, uh... Except it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, I can't play that fast. And I wasn't sitting there practicing technique with a metronome. I never practiced technique with a metronome. Got it. So without knowing that Cliff was doing it with one finger... I just kind of took two fingers and started thinking to myself, what if I just flipped it back and forth like this? And so then next thing I knew, I'm like, it took me about a week or two where I was going. And that all came from trying to learn that Just from trying to learn that one thing. And that's how I've learned all my technique. It was never like, I'm going to learn a technique. It was always, I want to play that song, but I don't know how, and I don't have the technique to do it. So Uh, let's just figure out how to do it. figure out how to do it. Yeah. And I I guess it's kind of, it was kind of lazy because I wasn't a scale practicer and I wasn't a, a metronome technique practicer. Yeah. And so... My, my and you still use that now, haven't well, you? Well, I didn't you? use it for thirty, for 25 years oh, really? or something. Oh, really? Because I've seen you use that before. But the thing is, is that no one ever asked me to play metal. 
Right. Like, you know, I ended up, so I ended up going to Berkeley College of Music, thank God. Uh, and uh, I met Joe Travers, who was a big Zappa fan. He got into Dweezil Zappa's band, and then he got me into Dweezil Zappa's band, got me an audition. And then I came to California, and that was the start of my career. And next thing I knew, I was playing music that had all these crazy notes and riffs and difficult technique. And then I had to really kind of put that to the test. Well, yeah. if I don't know how to play something, I better learn how to play it, or else I'm not going to be able to keep up with these freaks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was designed to kind of be either a metal or an R&B bass player, you know? Yeah. Uh, I learned all of it, like a lot of James Jamerson stuff and just regular old kind of pop funk stuff. I used to love yeah, playing Yeah, because when you Stevie were playing Wonder. before, you were playing like Tower Power stuff. Oh, yeah, you know. Like, or, is that know, stuff uh, that you were listening to when you were a kid as well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like the like the Stevie Wonder stuff. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I remember just. I mean, that's that's. Were you into all that stuff when you were at Berkeley as well? Did that sort of like I come did. With you? I was actually. Uh, we we played. Uh, we played. I was in a band. That well, it was a band. We put together these projects. And like the thing in Berkeley. I, at Berkeley, and the thing yeah. I wanted to do, because I could see that there was a lot of shredding going on, and like that wasn't for me, you know. I, I just was like, I just want to groove. Yeah. Uh, and also, I wasn't getting noticed as a player because I wasn't a flashy player, and there were flashy players that were there. So that thought, would be an interesting thing for you to open up about as well. Is just that there's there's obviously a certain amount of social pressure for people to do and play a certain way. Well, especially to, in 1990. To be noticed, I mean, right? in 1989 yeah. and 1990, man, it was just like, I mean, you know, people were, I mean, I, God bless Billy Sheen. I know he was here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember, like, watching him and Steve I do, like, all the David Lee Roth solo stuff and the Shy, Shy Boy, Boy and all that. I'm looking yeah, at that yeah. and I'm like, first of all, I'm never going to look like that. <laughs> like, I would look ridiculous. Why do you look leather, good in spandex? With leather. Yeah, I'm just not tall and skinny enough. I'm just never going to be that guy. And second of all, I don't want to, I, like, it's just not where my heart is, is, yeah. is in that, all that crazy technique. Yeah. Of course, I ended up having to, you know, learn all sorts of crazy stuff with, with you know, for when I started playing with Steve Vai. Yeah. But uh, uh, when I was a kid, I wasn't into that. So I decided, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a big, a, a huge spectacle, like a, like a 15-piece funk band. Got it. And we'll play Stevie Wonder, and we'll play Fishbone, so we'll play Chili Peppers, and, you know, so that way we can just, like, I mean, just stuff like... That's what I, you know? Yeah. So that's what I was trained to do. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm sitting here having to try and figure out what the lick to Freak Show Access is. You know that? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I had to sit there for weeks and figure that out, you know? Because it's like, I didn't, I didn't I wasn't trained to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then my ultimate punishment for being lazy with technique when I was a kid is ending up in a band with Guthrie Govan and Marco Man. <laughs> <laughs> They've got all the technique. I know. Yeah, well, yeah. it's it's, and I just do the best I can to just kind of keep it anchored and, and make sure uh, the groove is always there. What do you think that you know when you were at Berkeley and you and you created the funk band? Was there any and for cause, like we've got a ton of students that are at you know mm -hmm. places like in Berkeley and at places like Berkeley, and um, for those guys, what would you say 
in this era, do something wacky or fast well, or whatever to be noticed the thing or, is, or die. You know, first of all, everything's you know. okay. That's the great thing about now is yeah. that back then we only had a few media sources and a few outlets for music. The major labels, that was it. So you know, uh, and, and major like the major magazines, there weren't that many of them. The tastemakers were few, yeah. and the influence was far and wide. So now you can narrow cast online, find mm -hmm. your little niche that you like, and just totally go into it. Yeah. Like so, if you're a young muso, like I've noticed that, like the like we're talking like two generations now away from us, like uh, uh, you know, for guitar music, it tends to be like where my world is. Of course, yeah. I know Joe Satriani and John Petrucci and Mike Keneally and, and Guthrie. Uh, you know, we're at some point we were kind of like the next generation to Joe and Steve, yeah. or Guthrie was anyway. Uh, and now you can see that like Pliny. You know, is this guy from Australia? Yeah. Him and and his uh, and his, uh, his amazing band bass player Simon Grove, who's great. You should talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. He's, yeah. he's awesome. And uh, and those guys have come along. And there's a lot of that kind of like clean arpeggiation, uh, muso odd time signature with weird kind of uh, drum rhythmic patterns from Meshuggah, kind of like animals as leaders. I was about to say animals, animals as, leaders. as leaders, but only the clean stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. like a whole genre now. Like, have you heard yeah. Chan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, like, you know, there are muses out there, like, doing it in a completely different way. And, it, and it's not all chops-based. In fact, a lot of it is actually kind of form-based. Yeah. Which it's is all cool. project-based, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They're, they've all got, like, projects together. But, I mean, like, you know, you just got to be able to just groove, just to be able to just put down a groove. I mean, that's yeah. we're bass players. Yeah. That's yeah. supposed to be Rule job one. one. <laughs> Tone and groove. Yeah. You know, it should be... Start there, you know, yeah, just yeah, get it, yeah. you know, get a nice even tone. You don't always have to dig in like I was just doing. Your right hand is so powerful, you know, you can. You, you do some strange things with your right hand. Sometimes you play with your index and your middle finger. Oh, God. Sometimes you play with your index and your ring finger. What's don't all that look, about? Don't look closely to my right hand. So this, again, this is another outgrowth of not having focused on technique. Got what, it. Uh, consciously when yeah. I was a kid. Something that developed from... Here's a really stupid story. Something. So I was at Berkeley and I was practicing a lot. I, I, was, I think I was probably practicing Chili Pepper stuff and just Got playing it. too hard. You know, like, uh, you know. You know, and like, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, action yeah. on the bass was probably set up wrong. And, you know, was, <laughs> I, I, and I was playing, you know, and, and next thing I knew, I had massive calluses and blisters all over my fingers. Yeah, yeah. And I had a proficiency that I had to do, uh, uh, you know, like one of those tests where you have to play scales and arpeggios. Yeah. And like my my middle finger hurt so bad that I, I could barely even touch it to the string. Well, just because of playing. Uh, I, yeah. So for to get past this proficiency, I thought, okay, instead of doing this, which is what I was doing most of the time, I'll just do this. And I, I was like, I'm weird kind of OCD person. And I was like, well, that's symmetrical, isn't it? Yeah, they're the same size, aren't they? Yeah, the middle exactly. finger's like an anomaly. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, like, it's like, like, yeah, what's this all about? It's like five so, mil too long. So I was like... And then suddenly I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I don't know how, but like it just happened. Like, I, I literally don't know when the middle finger starts to kind of creep in. But after I started playing for a couple of years, suddenly like this was showing up sometimes. Yeah. And 
I'm not one of those guys who can like alternate all three fingers like the that crazy Alex Webster method, you know, yeah, it's like you can get really, really smooth speed if you work on that for a while. Yeah. Did I work on that for a while? No, <laughs> because I'm lazy. And also because I'm not primarily interested in technique for technique's sake. I'm much but, uh, more yeah. interested in tone and groove and song. Yeah. So yeah, if you're looking at my right hand and going, how does he do that? Don't ask me. Yeah, it's know. just something that it's just something that's of, developed, yeah. and sometimes it's an impediment. You know, I, I mean, like, listen, for ninety nine percent of the music out there, it wouldn't be an impediment, but I just happen to find the one percent of music <laughs> where sometimes it is. Do you ever sort of like natural? Well, do you consciously switch between the two techniques or not? Or does your hand just completely take unconscious? Unless I'm running into a problem, and then I'll go, okay, well, why isn't that working? How can and I? And then fix I'll this? try and work yeah, around yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You think I'd have something systemic by this point to make sure that never <laughs> happened? But no. Well, it come, but when you're in Berkeley, is that when? Because sometimes it doesn't come across on, on on camera that you know when you're noodling around as a musician, I know that you understand harmony and the way that just just the way that you play around the neck. You know, yeah. I can hear the chords going by. Yeah, that, you're you know, thinking about it in that way rather than just playing riffs, right? So it you, was already embedded from the classical piano lessons. Got I got I got the circle of fifths. And then I did take some private lessons and learned modes when I was a junior in high school. Got it. So I, I knew that, you know, the, the Dorian was... Was the you know always remember the key accidentals that the Dorian was flat three and natural six in the yeah. minor and yeah. that Mixolydian was the major scale with the flat seven yeah you know and that Phrygian was the Spanish sounding one you yeah, know and yeah. all that stuff yeah, yeah yeah so I had that which I didn't realize was when you were eighteen and you were going into Berkeley was a, a heads up you know yeah. compared to some of the people who were showing up there uh, but what ended up happening is that I had a lot more harmonic. Uh, knowledge and ear training ability than I was able to translate onto my instrument. The instrument was an impediment, essentially, to what was going on in my head. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of been a lifelong struggle. I mean, I, I, I'm the kid who had to stay after school uh, when I was in second grade to learn how to cut with scissors properly because I couldn't cut a circle smoothly. <laughs> and do you feel like that... I know, I'll be a similar... bass player for a living. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Trying to apply the harmony and the theory to the instrument, you felt like it was a... Well, it, it, I just could always, and to this day, I can always hear things before I can play them. Got it. My mind moves pretty quickly, but the fingers are always trying to catch up. And, uh, and then the I had opposite. The... Yeah. My brain's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I, I, I was listening to you, you playing. You were getting around. It sounded great. So smooth. I was just like, man, why, why, can't, why does my right hand do that? So, uh, but it's one of those things where also, you know, when you're at a music school, I kind of had to make a choice. I remember I was taking my proficiencies and getting more and more into having to solo over changes in jazz and stuff like that. And just like, I was doing it, but like I was doing it to pass the test. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what was I listening to? I was listening to, you know, Zeppelin, uh, Fishbone, mm. uh, you know, Zappa. Yeah. Uh, you know, all this progressive stuff and fusion stuff. And I was like, did it, with the fusion thing, I really had to make a choice. It was like, am I going to like learn all the Charlie Parker solos and like really do the work of yeah. what it takes to be like a real jazz player? And like, I remember being 20 or 21 years old and just being like, no. no. Yeah, yeah. What, did, it wasn't, you didn't want to be that in, your, in the future. I, did, yeah, I, yeah. I never listened to it. Yeah. I think that in the end, you, you, the best thing that you can do for yourself is just to be true to what you're inspired by. Yeah, yeah. You know, like just play the music you love. Yeah. It'll always come out better yeah, than if you're yeah. playing something that you're just doing it because someone thinks you should or because you think it'll look good or you'll be cool if you do it or blah, blah, or anything. Yeah. You know, it just come from inside. You know, that's, 
I, I finally got there with this most recent solo album that I just put out, this progressive double Last concept year, wasn't album, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scenes from the Flood. You know, I'd made two albums before that, and they were kind of flirting between like jazz fusion and and progressive and instrumental rock. And for a second there, I was doing like a really low rent John Patitucci impersonation. <laughs> and, you know, it was just like, wait a minute, you know. And, and Patitucci's great, but it's like he did the work. He listened to all the jazz stuff. I'm yeah, like, I didn't do it. that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to sound like that. So finally, I just. It took me 46 years to just be like, no, I'm going to make a progressive double concept album. That's the album I always wanted to make. Yeah. And there's no pretense there. There's no jazz on this album. Yeah, yeah. It's just instrumental, progressive-minded rock music. And I'm just so much happier. I think, I don't know who said it, but uh, there's some variation of a quote that says that the root of all suffering is in being and acting in a way that's not who you really are. Yeah. If you can just... Identify those moments when you're doing that yeah. and eliminate them as much as possible. A lot of suffering goes away. People want to check the album out. Where, where, where can they get it? Uh, I mean, first of all, it's on all the streaming services. I was going to say, try it before you buy, and of course. iTunes and all but of that But if you want stuff. to support the artist, then what you want to do is just go to brianbeller.com. Yeah. And there's a web store there and you can, uh, there's high-res uh, digital available through Bandcamp. You can choose anything up to FLAC, you know, 48K yeah, yeah, wave, yeah. compressed completely. Uh, or uh, there's physical media. It's available on CD, and actually, it's double vinyl. I was going to say, have you well, got it on vinyl? It is double vinyl, yeah, because <laughs> because it was in, it was inspired by the wall. Yeah, yeah. And tales from topographic oceans, the yeah. big like two big classic progressive double albums. I wanted it to have the feeling of having those four parts. Yeah. So you know, it, it does have two big halves if you're listening to it on a CD. Yeah. Uh, and you can listen to it straight down if you're listening to it digitally. Uh, but if you listen to it on vinyl, you'll get the four sides because there is some definite intentionality yeah. into part one, part two, part three, part four. Get it on vinyl. The songs segue. So yeah, brianbeller.com, there's a, there's a web store. And even if you live in the uh, UK or EU, uh, which apparently will be two different things soon. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, don't go down that rabbit <laughs> hole. I know, I know. Uh, but there, there, there's a warehouse in the UK, yeah, yeah. which oh, is wicked. better than the warehouse in Arizona, regardless of how Brexit oh, turns out. Oh, there you out. go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. We have, we have a warehouse set up on the continent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about when you moved to California? And, yeah. And, and how, how the, you know, we said... <laughs> yeah. Obviously, right at the top of this interview, we said, yeah, you play with all of the guitar gods. Uh-huh. I'm assuming like a lot of them live down in California. How did that happen? Well, they all came from Long Island, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. Long Island, for people who don't know, Long Island is a, a near New York City, New York. It's like yeah. suburbs outside of New York. I mean, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, John Petrucci, and yeah. Mike Keneally all grew up within like 20 miles of each other. Get out. Like, what Seriously? Was in, yeah. What was in the water <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in, in, in the, the early age. 60s? They're all the similar age, aren't they? John Petrucci's a little younger, isn't he? Uh, a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a bit. Uh, Petrucci's kind of in between me and those guys. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, th- that's just weird. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, in Jersey, uh, it's just it's funny, you know, <laughs> Guthrie, Guthrie has, has taught me that, like, you know, uh, because he grew up here and he spent some time in Essex. Yeah. And he's like, well, Essex is Essex. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. He's like, <laughs> he's like well, it's kind of like New Jersey. You know, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so you know, when I say I grew up in New Jersey, it's like yeah, there's a, there's a certain kind of an attitude in growing yeah, up in New yeah, Jersey yeah. and Long Island is kind of the same thing, just yeah. a different flavor of it. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like this kind of tough suburb, you know. Yeah, it's a yeah. vibe. It's yeah. definitely a mood. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they're all from Long Island and they all moved away except for Petrucci. He's still there. Oh, is he still up there? Yeah. Satriani's in San Francisco. Vi is in L.A. 
uh, and Keneally's in San Diego. So they've, they've, they've covered the whole California yeah, yeah, coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and I, uh, I moved there in 93 to be with Dweezil. And again, this kind of answered the question from like my early school years when I was like, I know I don't feel like I belong here in this socioeconomic environment. Got it. This place, New Jersey. And uh, as, as much as I, you know, uh, you know, I'm happy to proclaim my roots. I am a Jersey guy. Yeah. But as soon as I got to California and as soon as I saw the big open spaces and the mountain vistas and uh, just how much land there was and how beautiful yeah. it was, yeah. I realized in my heart and my soul that I was in the right place. Yeah. It's very hard to describe, but I knew it. Yeah. And to this day, uh, I live in a very, very small, remote mountain community. Uh, really, north yeah. of the city. Yeah, yeah, only a couple thousand people live there, and it's wow. really, most people in L.A. don't even know where it is. Yeah. And it's yeah. only 30, 40 minutes from the city, but it's out there. Yeah. And how did, was Dweezil your first, because he's like, obviously, he's like on the guitar gods as well, isn't he? Like, was he your, your route into meeting and playing with Satriani, Vaughn, Well, yeah, Keneally, uh, of course, guys, yeah. I mean, yeah. Keneally was in the band. Mike Keneally was in Dweezil's band when I joined, and, and Mike Keneally had been in Frank Zappa's last touring band. And uh, I remember, you know, learning the Dweezil music, which was difficult enough. It was just like very riffy rock. Yeah. Very complicated riffy rock. Lots of unison runs and weird stuff coming out of nowhere in the middle of like a verse of a standard rock song, suddenly, you know, yeah, like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to memorize and learn a lot of new technique and stuff like that. But Mike Keneally was in the band, and then I heard his solo material for the first time and i was completely blown away you know here was a guy who was coming from like you know heavily influenced by like xtc the beatles frank zappa and gentle giant yeah such yeah, an yeah, incredibly yeah, yeah. eclectic mix of influences and uh those first two records that he had hat which was already out in 91 when i joined the band in 93 and then boil that dust back the record that he was working on uh when i joined the band i was just so blown away by what he was doing so He's uh, super talented. He really, like, really is. He so, really is. I, I, so I ended up playing in his band. Uh, and uh, and that's where I, I kind of felt like my heart was really there. And then a couple of years later, Mike Keneally decided to leave uh, Dweezil's band to pursue a solo career, and I left at the same time. Got it. Uh, and that's how everything started. And it was during that time, kind of near when we left, where we met Steve Vai. He had just put out Sex and Religion, and we all went to the, the whole Dweezil band, me, Mike Keneally, Joe Travers, I remember, yeah. and Gail Zappa. We all went to go see the yeah. Sex and Religion show. Yeah, with Devin. Devin was seeing yes. him, that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm, at that time, now, I'm a huge Devin Townsend fan. I have all the Strapping Young Lad albums and, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> Alien is one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I just... Back then, I was just confused. I didn't, under <laughs> I didn't understand. What I'm like, is this? I'm like, okay, I have Passion of Warfare. I know how this works. I don't, underst I don't understand so good, wasn't it? how this works. Yeah, yeah and I didn't yeah. understand it at the time. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, Steve, uh, God bless him, he found Devin somehow. I don't even yeah. know the story of how he found him. How old was Devin? Like, he was like 19. Was he, I was going to say 19 to he 20. He was yeah. really young. Yeah. And, and, and just so incredibly talented, just doing all the Steve Vai guitar parts and, and then acting like, you know, like totally taking the piss, like really taking the piss, like Frank Zappa, like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, making yeah, faces yeah. on stage and yeah. singing and screaming and all that crazy stuff he could do with his voice. Yeah. Uh, uh, we were communicating on Twitter when we were both working on this, on our, these massive albums that we were working on, yeah. you know, Empath is his latest album and yeah. Mike Keneally was in his touring band. Oh, really? Yes. Got it. When they just did Europe. They, they were in Europe at the same time the Aristocrats were just now. And uh, a lot of the people that we knew were coming to see the Aristocrats had also just seen a Devon show right, uh, or were going to see a Devon show. Also, Haken 
opened up for Devin. Do you, are you familiar with Haken? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, 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 great yeah. UK prog band. Yeah. Uh, Ray Hearn, the drummer from Haken, yeah. is on my solo album. On, oh, really? On, on the most Kill difficult it. song, on, on a song called <laughs> World Class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nine-minute massive progressive Monster song. of a tune, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What were some of the... When you started going, when you went from Berkeley down to California, you know, you hooked up with Dweezil and then like playing with Keneally and then, you know, Satriani and Vibe, what were some of the big lessons that you learned going through that in terms of playing and just, and being a professional muso as well? Well, first of all, just play bass. Just, I mean, like, you know, uh, and Joe Satriani, this is a good example, right? I mean, like, you know, people, I think, maybe sometimes hear Joe Satriani's music, especially if they're coming from, like, Vi and Zappa world, and they listen to it, and they hear a song like Summer Song, where it's like, you know, the bass line is... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. But it's not whatever. If you yeah. actually like get inside those songs, the simplicity has a very, very specific construction, and there's a reason why it works. Mm. And so, you know, it's one of those things, especially in muso world, where it was a great opportunity to kind of just go back to basics yeah. and just play bass. Now, he wants you to let loose and have fun on the gig, but I mean, like, you can't just like throw crazy slap and hammer on licks all over the place just because <laughs> you're playing instrumental rock. Yeah, there's a yeah. song, yeah. he's playing a melody, you yeah. know? Or like flying in a blue dream, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, those. Playing the simplest of stuff. There's a real talent to that, you know. Making it sit in the pocket like that. Every, get every note, every note, as even as possible, and still have that little bounce, that, uh, 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 you know, yeah, the straight yeah. rock yeah. bounce. The velocity of all the notes yeah. aren't, aren't the same, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. Playing, you're playing into certain notes mm -hmm. harder than others. Yeah, and, and, then, and then give it a little bit of muting, so you're not just like... Maybe there's a point in the song where you want that to give it a little yeah, bit of an yeah, emotional yeah. lift, but yeah. otherwise... You know, that yeah, stuff yeah, all yeah, counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel it in the groove when a straight eighth groove is really right. Yeah. And uh, Did you have that together when, when, when you went down there, when you, you first started? You know, that's, I think because of the R&B background, it was one of those things that I internally had together. Yeah. That even though it's applied to rock, you know? Yeah. Like, you know that when you're playing I Wish, it's not... You know, it's... So you're right there, you're already modifying your playing. You it's tight. Yeah. You know, whether you're using this finger to mute right after it or this. Yeah. One way or the other, you're not doing this. You're not yeah. doing this. <laughs> you know. Even though that that you know, it, it actually sounds a little bit like what Nathan was doing on. You know. <laughs> But you have to overdrive the pickups in order to be able to yeah, do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, all I'm saying is, is that, yeah, your right hand and your left hand technique are kind of dictating note duration and groove. Yeah. And I think the basics of pop, rock, and R&B uh, translate to rock a lot easier than maybe some people might imagine. 
especially when the song form is more specific yeah. uh, and slightly controlled as it is maybe in the Joe Satriani environment. Got Which it. is not to say there aren't moments in the show where we just don't all go apeshit and just yeah, you know yeah, 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 play yeah. a bunch of stuff, but it, yeah. it's a bit rootsier based in kind of like blues and R&B uh, and straight up rock yeah. than maybe some of the Vi stuff, which is based on you know Zappa, which is modern classical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and going between the different projects as well, talking about like Satriani and Vi, do you, have you got your sound that, that you use across all projects or is there certain tweaks that you have to no, do? No, no, there's definitely, and it depends on the instrument. So this is one of those things where, of course, I wish that we could just have my live setup sitting right here and you would see the three instruments that I'm using live right got now. It. One of them is very much like this. This is the M5, upright. I love this bass because it's a bright sounding jazz bass that's awesome from it's fret like a one super jazz, to fret it? 24. Yeah, it's ultimate yeah. five string jazz bass, 35 inch scale. The action is, it's set up perfectly, by the way. It's just like, I can't believe amazing, I just picked up this it? instrument yeah, yeah. and I'm just like, this, this has been my in my instrument. house for like the last two weeks. <laughs> you know, like I could, I'm sorry, and we will edit this if I get this wrong. But uh, <laughs> but this is like, there's there's this song. So we're just talking about the basses that I use, okay? And uh, there's this this bass that I found in 1999, Michael M5, the modern five, with a, a maple neck, uh, ash body, maple top, mm-hmm. uh, Seymour Duncan, 6770 pickups, you know, uh, and a Bartolini and TMB preamp. It's all designed to be a bright, spanking jazz bass. Yeah. And I find that it has a kind of mid-range that reacts really, really well with overdrive. Right, so you know it does that, but also you can play just. You know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. now there is this part that uh, Guthrie wrote for a song on the New Aristocrats album, which is called "Last Orders," which is probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to play oh, on really? stage ever. <laughs> And yeah. it's really quiet, and it's totally isolated, and it's I'm totally naked up there, and I would say I get it right, like to my satisfaction, like every note right, once out of every eight times I play it live. Got it, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he, you know, this is, Guthrie's the king of coming up with like really rich harmonic parts, and it goes mm. like this. I mean, I'll show you them. Yeah. Oh. There. So, uh, it's a the beast. Re- the, yeah. It is so hard. Uh, and the thing that makes it really hard, this part's, you know, bad enough. You really have to, it's like a pinky exercise. And then all these fingers, there is only one way to do this. If any one of these fingers goes in the wrong place, you can't do it. So there's like, kind of like a, it's like a C minor inverted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's your E flat and there's your C and there's your G. Minor third on the bottom. Exactly. And then a D minor. Yeah. And then hammer on. Pinky, and then, yeah. right? Okay, so you basically just a C minor. Yeah. 
Here's the bitch. <laughs> Guthrie calls this moving the problem around. There's only one way to do it. I, I you know, I think there's there is another modification, but it's not worth getting into. So, so now this is G minor. Yeah, it's hard to get through. That's a crazy stretch. And then you have to slide that. That's the hard part. That's the hard bit, yeah. And then one you're down fingers, into, one into finger a, sliding the whole step, right, one finger one, sliding exactly. the semitone. It's a nightmare, especially yeah, yeah, on yeah. high volume stages when things aren't really right. It's nice and controlled <laughs> in here. And so this is like an F major six. Yeah. And then uh, a C9 or C2. And then repeat. And then into a G minor. Uh, a flat major, B flat major, and then to the four chord, the F major. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry for the tuning. And then, and then finally, there's your one. <laughs> oh my God! So, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. humbling thing, of course, is that there's a demo where Guthrie played it. <laughs> yeah. it's like this isn't fair he's already so good on guitar it's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway we we sat down and, and you know worked out i was like okay so i think this is the fingering that you use he's like yeah it's like and you have to put your ring finger here and blah 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 yeah, yeah. and then when you do it it's right now why did i go through this whole thing because this instrument is like one of the only instruments i can play it on got it if if the because i'm used to this neck shape i'm used to everything about this instrument and yeah. like I've tried to play it on other instruments and like I can get it to work, but like it doesn't sound like this. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. this is the instrument that I used on the record. Really? And yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, not this one, but I mean like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Mike, the, the Mike Lowell M5. Your M5, yeah, yeah. So that's the, what this bright instrument does. It's aggressive, it's rock, it does the pretty thing, it just does everything right. And then uh, for uh, like a darker kind of like a more rootsy R&B thing, uh, I have a Mike Lowell PJ, Passive. Got it. Uh, and that is a completely different tone wood setup. It's a it's an alder body with a rosewood fingerboard, and it's just really nice and sweet and deep and chocolatey yeah. and you know darker sound, darker so much darker yeah, sound, and yeah. that's great for some of the Joe stuff. Yeah, You'll, there's a P bass on a lot of Joe stuff. I was going to say like yeah, because obviously you pl you change your playing slide or your approach, yeah. should I say, yeah. between the different projects like uh -huh. Saturani, Vi, and you know all of the other guys yeah. and your own stuff. There'll be a, a little change in your approach. Yeah. And obviously your tonal change as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but I, I think that, I mean, your right hand is where it all starts, but the instrument really matters. Yeah. So I have a third instrument that is a new signature of mine called the, the BBMF5. MF stands for Modern Focus, not anything else, people. <laughs> and uh, it's basically designed to be like a really mod. These are all kind of, you know, uh, souped up. Fender jazz basses yeah. or, or, or PJ combos. Mm. That's what Mike Lowell really does. That's their bread and butter. Yeah. Like the really amazing playing, you know, especially five strings, mm. uh, classic vintage style instruments. Even though it's called modern, it's still vintage. You just yeah, yeah. Get your yeah, arm yeah. around that. Yeah, yeah. But there's this other style, like kind of like, you know, Spectre World, you know, with EMGs. And I have a couple of Spectres and I use them in the studio and they're really great instruments. Uh, I, my hand doesn't really love the way the necks feel, either the Got thin it. one or the wide one. So I have to be in kind of specific places for them as opposed to just pulling off all sorts of stuff live with them. But they yeah. sound amazing. And uh, I wanted to have a Mike Lowell that kind of felt and felt really great and sounded like that. Uh, now, a bolt-on can never sound like a neck through. Ever, ever, yeah. ever, ever. 
it's just a different beast. Yeah. But we worked together and we we came up with a custom neck spacing and uh, we put a set of uh, uh, EMG DC40s in there with the BQC preamp uh, and did it. It's a, a all is it Alder? Yeah, Alder uh, with a maple top and an ebony fingerboard. And it's got this really fast, smooth, like really punchy mid-range kind of compressy thing. And that's mm. my base for when I really need to kind of be smooth and like haul ass. Got it. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it cuts through metal mixes really well too. So that's a, a completely different sound that These I These are soap bars, like yeah. Soap they bar are soap bars, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So and you play like a full range, don't you? You play like the Super J basic thing, yeah, you've got the PJ, the PJ thing going on, and, and the soap, soap bars. bars. That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And yeah. they all have different purposes, and, and that's what our job is as bass players. I mean, I, I think it's our job as musicians. Yeah, I should actually just sort of like add, because some of the guys won't know, but if you think back to when SWR was like a real sort of like powerhouse yeah. of a company, yeah. uh, SWR amps, Many people might not know, but you were like the, yeah, the guy I, behind all that. So, well, all Brian is like are, a super it? tone geek. Well, I was, a, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, is I mean, I'm super. Ask anybody who's like traveled with me or worked. Well, you were with president me, like, of SWR, right? I was a vice president in the end, but yeah. I mean, like, it was. I'm just really particular about everything. Yeah. I can't help it. I'm I just wanted to point I'm, it out because I, uh, I think that just to. You know, well, it's important. I'm one of those guys, so, yeah. and I listen. I, God bless all of the people who are working at equipment companies, especially the musicians, because in the end, even though there's like an engineering team and they're very talented, and there's a marketing team and they're very talented, and then you have the salespeople uh, who are also talented, or else no one's going to eat. Uh, in the end, <laughs> yeah. there's got to be a musician there who's like the last word on the product. Yeah, and if it doesn't make sense to the musician, you're not going to sell them to anybody. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, when I was playing SWR in the 90s, when I was playing with Dweezil and Mike Keneally, I, I was just an endorsing artist. And what, what happened was I went broke. I, I had no money. I couldn't figure out how to make money as a musician. I was a dumb kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I asked them for a job. They were like, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So I started off testing amplifiers, and then I did customer service, and then I did artist relations, and then I did exports, learned about European business, and then then I ended up doing product managing and working with the engineers to come up with stuff that I thought that the that, that musicians would really like. Yeah. And that was my favorite position. It was so much fun. I got to really, really like be super tweaky. We had a great sound room. I would just spend hours down there just listening mm. to the differences between speakers. EQ, preamps, power amps, everything. Did you learn just like an obscene amount in the process of doing that? I did, about especially tone. not only about tone, but also about the engineering process and what it takes to bring that forward. You know, like, okay, I could say, well, I want it to sound more like this. You know, in the end, that ends up like, that's like capacitors, resistors, numbers, math. It's math yeah, in yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. And the engineers, you know, the guys laying out a circuit board has to kind of come up and be able to deal with that. Mm. And then there's a mechanical engineer, which has to be able to come up with a, you know, a, a physical form that makes sense. And it all has to fit together. You could say, I want 25 controls on there. And I also want it to be this big. I want it to weigh two pounds and I want it to cost $20. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> and the yeah. engineer's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, dream <laughs> sure, <on> dream. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> you know? So yeah. there's, uh, and there's balances that, that you learn a lot. And I learned so much about business, thank God, because I didn't know anything anything is that something that has served you well since you know with this sort of like the aristocrats and all of that because a band's a business right yeah 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 and and so once i did i did product managing for a year and a half and then i ended up becoming like a you know one of the people in management and the vice president and then fender bought swr and then i was part of the transition and was brought over to manage the swr brand inside fender for two years and then boy i really learned a lot about how 
corporate businesses wow. work. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in a negative way or positive no, way. No, it's just, just saying, it's huge. It just is what it is. It's huge, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I was doing reporting to boards and I was doing, you know, PowerPoint presentations, sales presentations to, you know, hundreds of people. It was nuts. And then finally I was like, all Did right. Did you ever, ever have like a moment where you were just like... Yeah, what? many. Well, and the funny thing How is... How did this happen? Other <laughs> people were... Other, and With I, your keynote presentation. Yeah, and other people were... And I had short <laughs> hair and I was the business thing. And, and like I was already like doing work with Vi at that point. And like uh, people in the company, a couple of them, especially when I first came over to Fender, they, they were there before I was. They were like, why are you here? And I'm like, oh, because this is like really... This is what I'm doing. I, you yeah. know, I'm... I blah, blah blah. I came up with some. I didn't really have a good answer, but it was just inertia. Was what I was doing. I, yeah. I got myself out of debt, and then I just kind of kept doing it. Yeah. And then yes, finally at some point I was just like, I have to stop doing this, and yeah. so I just started over. I was 34, uh, with no plan. I just said I want to be a musician again, and uh, thank God it all worked out. Yeah. You know, it took yeah. a couple of years. There was it was it was lean in the beginning. Was it? Yeah, sure. Did they you were have, like, to, oh, did yeah, you have to pull SWR the handbrake? Because right? a lot of people that I speak to, and this is musicians, but also friends that are just sort of like professionals and they're thinking about going from one yeah. career to the other. In my opinion, there's never kind of sort of like a seamless crossover. It, there's well, always well, sort no, of no, like no. a... It, it, was, it was one of those things where it was almost seamless. I almost ended up going right into the first Zappa Play Zappa touring band mm. uh, right after I uh, left Fender. But wires got crossed and it didn't happen. And then it was another couple of years, and like I was like, I didn't have that much savings. I had some savings, and I was yeah. living on it and trying to make it all work. And I was just about to run out and have to do something I didn't want to do. And then the Steve I touring thing happened in 2007, and then Death Clock happened right behind it. Got it. And so then I had like a, a subsistence living, and it was working out for a while. And then finally in 2011, the Aristocrats started. And then in 2013, it really kind of started to become successful, and the Joe Satriani thing happened at the same time. So at everything 40, aligned. At 43, everything that aligned, was the yeah. first time where I really kind of had it all together. I was like, wow, I can like do this. This is yeah, going to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say that I was so grateful for having that business background because yeah. when the aristocrats started, you know, we had a manager in the beginning, but then he had other things he wanted to do, and now he works at Strandberg Guitars. He's an executive there. Oh, really? So he's doing great. I got it, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I ended up being the manager of the band for six years. And it's not that it wasn't difficult because, you know, there's always things to manage. But compared to a new unsolvable problem every day for which I was responsible but didn't have the authority to allocate resources in a big company in order to yeah. provide the information and the reporting to my superiors that they were asking for, compared to that, managing a band was easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah. all right, I can do this. It's just spreadsheets and logistics and yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I, uh, fortunately, uh, we have a, a great new guy who's handling that for us. His uh, name is Ricardo Capelli and he was booking us in, in Europe and now he's taking that over for me. So I don't oh, have to do that kid. anymore. But uh, there's nothing wrong with a little sweat equity in yeah, this yeah, business. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because uh, you got to, it's one thing to make money. It's another thing to keep the money. Yeah, you got to make yeah. sure that there's some left over after you do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what have you like? If anybody's like thinking like musicians out there that are, that have got a project together yeah. and want to go out there and tour it, what should they be doing to First actually all, go from garage, <laughs> you know, rehearsing whatever few bands in a town to actually doing a tour? Well, I mean that's that's a big question, but. Uh, uh, let me just approach it from the marketing standpoint first of all, because everything is is you're online all the time these days. Mm. Who are you? Like, what are you? Who are you, and what do you do? Yeah. So this is the exercise that I that I 
if I do a lecture, this is what I ask people to consider. Uh, okay, you're in a band or you're an artist. Okay, write your bio. Write your, you know, this is your official press on who you are and what mm. you do. And take as long as you want. Like, you know, make it five pages, whatever. Just get it all out. All right, great. Done. You got your three pages, your five pages, your two pages, whatever. All right. Now, make it one page. Come back when it's one page. Mm. All right? So then you start looking at everything that you've written down. Like, what? Well, I can condense this into one page. All right. Okay, great. Now make it one paragraph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Now make it 10 words. And you'll see that once you write over and over again what it is that you're trying to describe that you do, there are certain words and vibes that keep coming up and up and up. And then finally, you can distill it right down to something very, very basic. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, for the aristocrats, I, I like to just say it's, you know, more fun than any fusion group should have any right to have. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. You know, it's like, so, so you already know it's, it's instrumental. It's, it's kind of a rock fusion thing. And we're taking the piss. It's fun. Yeah, it's not super fun serious. That's yeah. it. That's all. Yeah. The rest is just whatever. The rest it's like is an elevator pitch for who you it are. It is. Yeah. And I think it's important for you to know that for yourself. You know, uh, you already know it actually mm. when you're doing it. It's already in there. You just kind of haven't done the work to kind of extract it. You got to yeah. mine it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. So uh, as far as putting together your actual materials, and because I mean, like, what's the Instagram bio these days, right? It's like like a hundred characters. Yeah. 200 characters? Yeah. So you got to be yeah. able to say something. What's the Twitter bio? Yeah. It's it's one sentence. Yeah. You know? So you can have your thing, but you need to be able to kind of just get it right out there and do it. And then, you know, uh, is what you're doing is what you're doing aligned with what's in your heart mm. and in your mind and the music that you love that you've been listening to your whole life? Yeah. If it's that, then you're probably on the right path. Then just get your, you know, do the work, get your craft together, make sure you have a set. And then just, I would say, if you're going to do shows, always keep in mind the arc of the set. You know, just it's not just a collection of songs. You know, you're, the first song has got to draw people in, you know, right away. You know, it's, you just got to kind of grab got them it. somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then you're telling a story over whether it's 20 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour. Uh, you know, you want there to be an arc to the story. Yeah. You know, there can be some, you know, intensity and pizzazz in the beginning, and then there should be a point where the people get to breathe for a bit. Uh, and then you're building up to some kind of climax, something mm. to leave them with. The bands that you find now, where are you finding them? Like these new, we, we've talked about several in the last hour, but you've been oh, like, yeah, have you heard well, of these guys? Have you heard of these guys? Yeah. Where have you, you found know, out sometimes about them? it's just an accident. I mean, like I'm not the biggest Spotify guy in the world, but I will put it on sometimes just to, to listen to something that someone recommends. And yeah. then sometimes I'll just let it play and let it choose what the next thing is going to be. Got it, yeah. And that's it's funny. I had a friend who said, oh, you should check these guys out. And I listened to it, and I was like, eh, that's not for me. But I was in the other room, and I just kind of let Spotify play. And then the next thing that came on, I was like, <laughs> Damn, this well, is well, great. Oh, actually, I was like, oh, wow, it doesn't even sound like the same band, but I like this song. And then I walked up and said, oh, sure enough, it wasn't the same band. Yeah. It was Psychedelic Porn Conference. <laughs> and they're awesome. Who you've got to know just for the name. I know. Well, that's the funny thing, <laughs> is because I saw that Guthrie was on a magazine cover at some point, and uh, they were one of the subheads above his head and said Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. And I remember seeing it and being like, really? There's a band called Psychedelic Porn Crumpets? <laughs> yeah. It's a mission accomplished, right? I remembered it. Yeah, yeah. And then it came up on Spotify and I listened to it and it was like this like half prog, half surf, half, you know, psychedelic, like late 60s, early 70s yeah. vibe band. Yeah. That was super cool. And so then I just listened to the next song on their album for that pulled up and then the next one and then that was it. I bought it. Wicked. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's there's an example of how I found out about a new band. 
Yeah, because I think that sometimes like bands don't know how to capitalize on all of these different social media channels, yeah. and like they're just like, what do we do? Well, you know, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not into. I haven't like put together a playlist and published it. And I know that people. You know, that's a big thing to be on somebody's important playlist. And Got it. I, yeah. I, I'm. When I was finally done with my solo album, Scenes from the Flood, I had been working on it for three years, and I just didn't pick my head up. I was just extremely isolated. Yeah. Because it was 88 minutes of music. It was 26 musicians. It was just such a huge project. Mm. By the time I picked my head up, the social media universe had completely changed since the last time I put out a solo album. Got it. Completely. I had yeah. to learn everything all over again. I didn't know how Instagram even worked. Yeah, yeah. And this was yeah. like just a few months ago. It's, it's tough, isn't it? It yeah. is hard, isn't it? I think that what you guys have had as well, like the aristocrats and you, is that you've built a community around what you do. Like you've got a community of, I think like 10, 20 years ago, you would call it fans. And I think they are fans, yeah. but it's more of a community that, that love what you well, do. Like the aristocrats have got a community of fans. We're very, very fortunate. We had a, the, when Marco and I have been playing together in various, uh, Marco he's Miniman insane, and I, yeah, he's crazy. Yeah. And we, we, we played together with Mike Keneally. Again, Mike Keneally it, brought yeah, us together yeah, yeah. playing his impossible music. Some of his music is incredibly difficult in ways that don't sound difficult. Like, you know, you listen to some shreddy thing and you're just like, oh my God, that sounds hard. But mm. you listen to the Keneally stuff and it just sounds weird. And then you just sit down to play it and you go, oh my God, how do you do this? Yeah, how do you even yeah. think of this? And I remember the first time we came over to Europe and he's like, we're going to pick up Marco over here and we're going to, I'd never met Marco and I played with a lot of drummers who played Keneally and stuff. And some of them like, you know, they, they struggled with it in the beginning. Got it. And he had all the hardest songs on the song list. And I was just like, Mike, and Mike liked to do that, to try and like sometimes take a risk and it doesn't always work out. He just likes that. <laughs> it's like a dare. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm like, come on, man, this isn't going to work. He's like, no, 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 you it is. You don't know who this guy is. I'm like, I don't. So we got there and I met Marco and he's got these charts and he's just reading this impossible stuff straight down and not just reading it, like just kicking the shit out of it. And yeah. I just remember looking at him and being like, who are you? Yeah, I, like... If somebody was said, because there's like so many drummers out there that have got like yeah. incredible chops, right? Right. The difference for me when I listen to Marco is that he, he's got all of the chops under the sun. And this is kind of sort of like a, a negative of, of some drummers as well that, that have all the chops under yeah, the yeah. sun is that he's got sort of like really great groove and pocket when he does it. Some of the other guys are missing that one yeah. piece. Well, they, it, they can play the phrase, they can play it. That's the difference. Is that it's rock and metal. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. I mean, like we had the we had a very similar CD collection when we were growing up. Not all the same, but a lot of the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all the metal, the thrash, the, the the big four thrash bands from the '80s: Zeppelin, Floyd, you know, Rush, you know, just a lot of that same yeah, stuff. Yeah. And and when he lays in, it's it's a it's a big groove. And so yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of things right, that yeah. we didn't have to talk about, which made the whole thing work yeah. really well, especially when we're playing difficult stuff like Keneally. Anyway, we had done Keneally's thing. He played on one of my albums, one song. I played on his uh, instructional DVD. And so we were floating around doing stuff. Uh, but it wasn't until we found Guthrie that suddenly it was like that explosion happened. And yeah. we were also fortunate that when we found Guthrie, Guthrie was one of those underground guys who didn't have a website, wasn't on social media. You know, you're British, so you know. Yeah, 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 but the rest yeah, of the yeah, world yeah. didn't know that like yeah. the world's greatest guitarist was like playing a weekend gig every, at the, this place in Chelmsford every week and that people yeah. were coming from Japan to see him play fusion. It's crazy, right? isn't it? Yeah. So when we formed the band, we had this initial push of publicity because, thank God, 
every guitar magazine in the world said, oh, Guthrie Govan's in a band now with these other guys? We can put him on the cover of our magazine. Yeah. And Guitar Player did it. Young Guitar in Japan did it. Guitar and Bass in Germany did it. The, the guitar, Guitarist UK. I mean, every it was crazy. Yeah. We couldn't have bought that kind of publicity. That was like the excitement. And that was it. the initial rocket fuel for the band. And then we just kept touring and touring and touring and touring. And it was a good time for social media, 2011, 12, 13, yeah, 14. Yeah. It was still kind of very positive vibes out there. I mean, yeah. it's kind of- a, Loads oh, of organic reach yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, now it's 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 kind of a weird world out there. But yeah. I mean, like back then, everything was very, very positive. And uh, it just grew from us doing the work of touring and yeah. putting out records and putting out live albums. And then also kind of like doing it our own way, all independent, going straight to the fans, yeah. you know, not dealing with a record company or anything like that. And fortunately- it all just happened. And now here we are, you know, eight years later. Yeah, yeah. And it's all really worked. Guys, Brian Beller, where did they find you, Brian? They can find me. Uh, my website is simple as brianbeller.com, B-R-Y-A-N-B-E-L-L-E-R. And uh, I am on all social media. I'm on uh, uh, Facebook. My musician page is uh, facebook.com slash brianbellerbass. Yeah. And on Twitter, I'm just brianbeller. And on Instagram, I'm brianbellerbass. And aristocrats and aristocrats. Now the aristocrats. That's different because we had to. Everything's weird because there were other. There's all sorts of aristocrat stuff out there. Oh really? Right, right. You find a, a, a Twitter is acrats band. Yeah. Uh, Facebook is aristocrats band, and I think that Instagram is the aristocrats band. You'll I find them. Yeah, just, just Google, search it. Google aristocrats Beller Miniman Govan and you'll find them. Ladies and gents, right. Brian, cheers, man. Thanks, man. Thanks Thank you. See you guys. Bye. All right. What's it? See you in the shed. Isn't that what they oh, say? Oh, yeah. See you in the shed. Right? Is that the, that's the <laughs> line, right? <laughs>